Hello and welcome to the fourth podcast in this series. After exploring the history of the First Masonic Knights Templar and the modern history of Great Priory, we now look at the history and development of our ritual. In the archives of Great Priory, there are many handwritten books of ritual which enable us to note developments and changes and to see how the traditional workings of such encampments, uh, that as Baldwin, vary from those which we are familiar with us today. Not all can be precisely dated, and there are later copies of what are said to be early manuscripts. One especially interesting copy, made in 1877, is given as being a ritual of about 1780, which includes a series of lectures. Another dates from 1830, when Alexander Dalziel wrote out extensive revision of the workings used in Royal Kent encampment in Newcastle-upon-Tyne, covering the Knights of the Temple, Red Cross and Sepulchre of Jerusalem, Knights of Rhodes and Palestine, Knights of Malta, Mediterranean Pass, Pelican and Eagle, Haradim and Kadosh. Although not comprehended in the title, it also included a short ceremony for the Ne Plus Ultra. G.E.W. Bainbridge uh, made a transcript of this Dalziel ritual in which he commented that, subject to this revision, it may be taken as one of the forms of the Knights Templar group currently at the beginning of the 19th century, and may even be worked on lodges in the northeast coast in the 18th century. With Grand Conclave's promulgation on the 10th of April 1851, after due consideration of an official ritual for the Knight Templar degree, we come closer to the ceremonial which we practice today. At this stage we are still talking about notebooks in which all had been laboriously copied out by hand. For some time, certainly up to 1871, for which there is an example in the archives, it would have been off the uh, been the duty of the accomplished uh, calligrapher of the Chalancery of the Orders, then at 14 Bedford Row, London WC, to prepare copies for transmission to the provincial commanders who would make arrangements for dissemination to the encampment. In the process, of course, variations would arise and local customs would perhaps be allowed to survive in some details. Interesting specimens uh, which have been returned to Great Priory include those of the property of some of the most senior members of the orders, including, for instance, Shadwell Clerk, and there in them some sundry annotations which deserve close attention in some future study. These observations equally applied to the model ritual, which was approved by the committee on the 1st of December 1866. There are books which contain both ceremonies and one which includes to the Baldwin working. One of the great treasures, treasures in the archives is a volume superbly bound in red leather with gilt embellishments. The 1851 to 1866 rituals, together with the consecration ceremony, written therein are masterpieces of the calligrapher's art, and there are delightful illuminations which enhance its value. John Masson, who was at the time Grand Chancellor in Grand Conclave, may justly have been compared with William Preston, for what Preston had done for craft, Masson endeavoured to do for the Masonic Order of the Temple. Preston's work survives in emulation, and Masson's perhaps deserved a better fate, but it is to be uh, feared that few knights of today would be willing to learn the questions and answers, and thereby enlighten the minds of their brethren. Nevertheless, in 1858, 
Grand Conclave thought so highly of it that its promulgation was approved. It was the first published and printed in three booklets in marble card covers. The first, after a dedication, signed by hand in each copy to the Grand Master, contained the questions. The second had the answers, and in the third was a lecture embodying the origin of the order. The rise and progress, the suppression, the Masonic revival, the benefits resulting, and the uh, hoped-for reward. The revival here referred to with scant justification was based on the continuous thread passing through Scotland. A. Lewis was the firm that owned was owned by John Hogg, which from 1870 onwards produced rituals for the craft and other degrees. The present-day successors are known as Lewis Masonic, the publishers of uh, many Masonic books. By 1876, they had issued the perfect ceremonies for the Royal Exalted Religious and Military Order of the Masonic Knights Templar, which included the Malta and Mediterranean pass workings and also a Masson's system of examination. It was, they said with justification, a copy of the ritual agreed to at the Grand Conclave for England and Wales, and because of its ready acceptance, there were several reprints. In none, however, was there any reference to the Convent General. Grand Conclave continued to be mentioned as the source, certainly up to 1891 edition, when the title was referred to as the United Orders. It had been mentioned in an earlier chapter that A. Lewis was also producing in one volume the rituals just described um, in the Rose Craw of Herodom, the latter being a copy of the ritual of the Supreme Council of the 33rd degree for England and Wales. And here again, its similarity to earlier manuscripts working and the much more recent officially printed versions show that it could be, and was, taken as authentic. Combined editions were brought out about the turn of the century, by which time the course of Great Priory was in full swing. In 1900 came the first of Great Priory's own official rituals, and these have since been amended, revised and reprinted on numerous occasions. Their use has been from the first obligatory except for a few time memorial bodies. Among the revisions was one in 1900 which replaced the longer opening and closing exchanges of 1851 between the preceptor and constables with the present version, although preceptories which had been in existence before that year have always been permitted to retain the older one. Until the 1970s, the official issues, with very rare exceptions, have included both Templar and Malta workings, but the two are now published separately with extended rubrics. Here and there an individualist has compiled and printed a version exclusively for his own preceptory. For Grosvenor number 132 at Chester, George Harrison, still in 1920, calling himself the eminent commander, produced one bound in red leather which included the old opening and closing for the Templar degree, but otherwise generally conformed. The copy in the archives is endorsed to the effect that, despite its unauthorised first issue in 1920, Great Priory allowed its use until its author's death in 1930. A kindly touch. In other instances, St Salem at Macclesfield is one, locally printed inserts for the 1851 work are used. 
Reference has been made elsewhere to the ritual for Baldwin and other encampments stroke conclaves stroke preceptories which enjoyed time immemorial rites in their workings, some of which combined the Malta and Templar degrees in one ceremony. Antiquity at Bath is probably unique in that it has its own printed formulary for the opening and closing, which is like that at Baldwin, but prescribes that the official ritual shall otherwise be followed, save for the interesting feature after the investiture of a new knight, when the cook enters with his large knife and wards that any departure from the vows now taken will require him to hack off his spurs of the offender. This feature can also be witnessed in Bristol. Another treasure in the archives requires the uh, introduction of William Tucker from 1815 to 1855. At the age of only 31, he became the provincial grandmaster for Dorset and was accepted to the uh, sorry was admitted to the new Supreme Council for the Ancient and Accepted Rite, in which he later served briefly as Grand Secretary General. He is perhaps best remembered for what might be termed his Masonic eccentricity, for he appeared in his provincial Grand Lodge in 1853, not only in his craft regalia, but also wearing it over a robe that in those days distinguished the Sovereign Grand Inspector's General 33rd Degree. He there gave an address in which he claimed that Christianity was the basis of Freemasonry. For the two offences, he was re uh, removed from his craft appointment. Let us now turn to his membership of our orders. The register does not say where or when Tucker was installed as a knight, but we read that he joined Union or Rougemont at Exeter in 1843. Then in 1844 he was, with his friend, a founder of the Holy Cross Conclave, which was to meet at Corriton Park near Axminster, took a seat. He was its commander in 1846 and was in the same year appointed first Grand Standard Bearer from the new Grand Master. In the following year, he became Provincial Grand Commander for Dorset. And in 1848, we find him as Commander of All Souls Encampment in Weymouth. With all of his other Masonic activities, we can see that William Tucker was wholeheartedly attached to Freemasonry. We have neither the time nor the resources to enable us to consider the development of rituals in our sister constituencies. Interesting is, however, often expressed in the variations which can be witnessed when visiting beyond our own borders. And so far, with propriety set down on them, a few observations are made on the current workings in use. In the Irish craft and other degrees, the use of printed rituals is officially frowned upon, um, except perhaps overseas. There are in Dublin Grand Lodges and Grand Chapters of Instruction uh, at which the brethren attempt to learn their duties as officers in their respective bodies. There is indeed a great, a great preceptory of instruction for the United Orders, which meets four times a year for a like purpose. But the Great Priory also issues printed ceremonials from which the wording and many of the rubrics can be learned at home. Scotland similarly furnishes official rituals which are well rubricated and a supplementary guide to ceremonial, which is, as well as teaching its own knights how to carry out their work, enable a qualified student to examine and compare his own practices with those of the brethren north of the border. Let it be said that the ceremonies of the three constituent, 
constitutions have a great deal in common and that visitors in either direction would have no difficulty at all in feeling very much at home. The arrangement of a chapel of the Order of the Temple is at first a very similar sight in all three. But that which in England we are accustomed to seeing in the centre is absent in Ireland and Scotland, where the standards are placed in the east rather than the west. There are variations in the sequence of events and in the texts which are followed, but these and many other most interesting features may not here be pursued. What is important is that in each of our three constitutions, the candidate learns the same lessons and is inspired by the same high ideals which have characterised the Masonic Order of the Temple from its earliest days. Well, that concludes the fourth episode in this podcast series. In the next episode, we will look at the development of our clothing and jewels from around 1800 to the present day. Thanks for listening. Take care, everybody. Until next time.